Yeah, a holy God. My goodness, what a, uh, I think you'll see even before, by the end of this message, what a fitting uh, song that that is. Um, come and behold him. There's only one way that we can come and behold a holy God uh, by Christ, um, by making us righteous so that we can, through him, come and behold this holy God. Let's pray um, as we become, come before this word. And, uh, and behold uh, more of this holy God. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning, Lord, I pray for, for clarity. Lord, for boldness and for understanding. Lord, not just of my own speaking here this morning, but of ourselves, of our own uh, ears and heart, Lord, as we listen to your word. Heavenly Father, help us to be able to know and understand and delight and rejoice in the work of Christ, in all that we're seeing him, even in this short passage, do for the Father, for himself and for us, that we might come and behold you, live lives beholding you. Heavenly Father, um, we give thanks that you continually work to make yourself known to us. And we pray again this morning by your power that you would continue to continue to do so. Prepare our hearts, Lord, and, uh, and give us the ears to be able to hear what you are saying to your church this morning. Amen. Well, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we've heard these words recently, haven't we? At the beginning of this same chapter, chapter 3 of Matthew, John the Baptist, the prophesied man that would prepare the way for the Messiah, was preaching it to the people. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I wonder, what information can we gather even just from what John is saying about this kingdom of heaven? From his words, what can we learn about it? I think at the very least, we can come to understand that it is a righteous place. It's a place that is set aside for the doing of the will and purpose of the Father alone. After all, what other place would demand repentance from its people even before it arrives in its fullness? And I wonder if we can even imagine such a place, a place that is righteous, where all of the people morning to morning only ever act righteously, only ever do the good and perfect will of the Father. Every word that's shared every task done, every breath taken, all done in perfect alignment to the desires of the Father. Not a people that are battling to be righteous, that are anxious or worried about achieving it. A people that feel like every day is year 12 or uni exams again and again, 
where they need to get 100% every time instead of people who are free and are at peace because their very nature is aligned with God. If you can imagine such a place, imagine then what the king of such a kingdom would be like. Who must this king be that rules a kingdom so perfectly and utterly in tune with the father? He must be, even as we sang, holy, 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 holy. There is a man, John said, who is coming that is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Now, if I asked you to carry my shoes for me, I am almost certain that many of you would say no. You would say it out of absurdity because it was a weird request and possibly out of disgust despite the lofty heights of my foot hygiene. But John wouldn't carry the shoes of this man, not because it was weird or because it was gross, but because of the utter loftiness of this man that was to come. John isn't just speaking about being in awe of him, but being so far beneath him. How far beneath someone do you have to be to not be worthy of carrying their sandals very far? So it is, any, is it any wonder then that when Jesus, the very one that John is speaking of and whom John recognises as this king, when he emerges from the crowd that are seeking to be baptised, to be baptised himself by John, that John says no or at least tries to stop him. He's not worthy to carry his sandals. So how, how in the world could John possibly baptise him? More than that, John's baptism, as we see in verse 11, is one of repentance. It's for people that have done the wrong thing, who have sinned and want to admit their error to turn around and to follow God from now on. So what place does the holy, holy, holy king have being baptised by John in repentance? No, John says. Surely it's supposed to be the other way round. You, Jesus, are to baptise me. You are mightier than me. And the baptism you offer is greater than mine. I baptise with waters of repentance, but you, you baptise with waters of the Holy Spirit and with fire. What you are suggesting is the wrong order. And John's so right, isn't he? Jesus has no seemingly logical place being baptised by John. It defies wisdom. It, it seems backwards. Permit it to be so for now, Jesus says. He doesn't deny John's insight that there is something backwards to this request. 
but he asked that it be allowed for the time being, not forever, as there is a definite indication by the way Jesus answers that points to a temporary arrangement. And one day, at the right time, John will be baptised in Jesus. But for the time being, Jesus sees a need to reverse the order of power, to humble himself. And we are left with a tremendous question. Why? And it's a big why. Why is this holy, holy, holy king of a kingdom that's known for its righteousness being baptised in waters of repentance? Jesus' answer is in verse 15. To fulfil all righteousness. This is the king of the kingdom of heaven in his glory, isn't it? This is his element. Why is he being baptised in waters of repentance? For righteousness. To satisfy the will and purpose of the Father. This is the centre of who the Son of God is and sits behind everything that he does, every word he shares, every task taken, every breath taken, just like the people of the kingdom. And he does so peacefully and joyfully because he above everyone else is holy, 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 set aside for the Father, the King of the kingdom of heaven. How beautiful it is then that we see these words from Jesus to fulfill all righteousness at the very beginning, at his first words that we hear from Jesus at the beginning of Matthew. His first words are, I am here to fulfill all righteousness. And how fitting it is to hear these words the very first time we see him mentioned as an adult at the beginning of his ministry. It captures what he is all about as a whole, as well as what he is doing in this baptismal scene. As a whole, from the outside of the narrative, we can see that Jesus' words, his baptism, and the following opening of heaven, descent of the Spirit, and words of pleasure from the Father are a shadow of the gospel work that's to come. His baptism is like a map of the journey ahead of him. The fulfilment of all righteousness is the Father's great desire for the saving work of the cross. Going down into the water is his death. Coming up again, his resurrected life. The heavens opening are a restoration of communion with the Father. The Spirit's descent, a mantle of power that rests upon him, giving him authority and a seal. And the words of the Father, a proclamation of his sonship and the Father's pleasure and love for that son. But this is not just what Jesus will do, but what he freely bestows on those that believe in him. I don't know if I've ever told you, but one night when I was 18, I had a revelation of God. 
that Jesus and only Jesus would lead me to the kingdom of heaven, would lead me home. And so the next day I approached a pastor that I didn't know at a church I didn't attend and asked to be baptised. Ray, I don't know if you could imagine an gangly 18-year-old stranger just walking into the church and saying, I want to be baptised on a Sunday morning. I wonder what you would do. This pastor, he took down some details, like my name, and gave me a study on baptism. He wanted to make sure that I knew what I was asking for. And in it, it explains that Jesus' death was my death. His resurrected life, my resurrected life. His restored relationship with the Father was my restored relationship with the Father. The spirit of power and seal of promise was mine. And when the Father calls out, this is my son, the beloved in whom I am well pleased, he's speaking to me as well. Matthew making this the first thing we see in his gospel of Jesus' intentional actions in ministry reveals an assent and a willingness to step towards the gospel goal. This is his first step towards fulfilling the requirements of the Father to save the chosen people, me and you. And he isn't doing it in ignorance or under duress, but because of who he is as the king of the kingdom of heaven, the one who does the Father's desires. But Jesus' baptism here and his words to fulfill all righteousness are not simply a shadow or not alone a shadow of the fulfillment that will take place in time but it's a part of it as well. For as his death is our death and his life is our life, so is his baptism of repentance our baptism of repentance. Now, last week, Ray spoke on repentance, the admittance of sin and the turning away from sin's crooked path to pursue God's righteous one. Not something that is done once, but is a lifetime of repentance of many turnings, of much pursuit, of continual walking in God's way. But in Jeremiah's words, the heart is is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? As much as we may see a need or even desire righteousness in the very action of our own repentance, We simply don't have the power to do it to fulfill all righteousness. Our hearts are so filled with lies that we cannot even know the depth of our own sin, that we might confess and repent of it. And if we did, even if we did know those depths, the motivation to surrender it all to the Father would be corrupt. There would be things held back, guilty pleasures that we hold on to. 
Now, in no way am I saying that our repentance is of no value. To do so would to be to invalidate John's preaching in this passage and many other places in Scripture that command us to repent. It is necessary, but it does not fulfill the righteous requirements of repentance. We are still found wanting. And this is where Jesus is baptised. Jesus brings to completion the baptism that began in John. He is repenting not because he needs to for his own sin, but for ours, so that we might be brought into his perfect repentance. Unlike us, he doesn't have a deceitful heart. He sees and knows to the very depths of his own heart as well as our own. He is not deceived. He's not deceived. And so his repentance is true. There are no hidden motives, no guilty pleasures of sinful, of a sinful life held in reserve. All of who he is, all of him walks a righteous path towards the Father, taking us his people with him, that in him we would be those fully righteous people that call the kingdom of heaven home. And he does so by intentionally humbling himself to be counted amongst the transgressors. In Isaiah 53, it says, The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Numbered with the transgressors. That's Jesus. And it's us. At the beginning of his ministry, his first steps towards the gospel, the Holy One desired to be numbered as a transgressor by being baptized as a sinner so that he might lead his people into a righteous life, into a righteous repentance. It's true, and the presence of the Trinity confirms that. When Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened to him and the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove, settling upon him. And the Father says, this is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. The fullness of God, Father, Son and Spirit is present and purposeful in the mission of Christ for us.
from Colossians 2. For in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have come to the fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. Now, speaking as a son, words like these, even from an earthly father, are an affirmation and encouragement in ways that are hard to express. And the absence of them in anyone's life are just as felt. Why? Because we were made in the image of God to reflect the very oneness of will, purpose, obedience, submission, and love that is seen here between our heavenly Father and his Son. that the Father offers Jesus these words, not at the end of his ministry, but at the very beginning, to know that the will and pleasure of the Father is with him as he begins this massive gospel undertaking. Now, when we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and believed, we too became children of God, sons and daughters. And we should hear these words, not just as words to Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, but in him as words to us. That he looks at you, not with the eyes of men, that can only see what is on the outside, but with the eyes of God that can see to the heart and what he sees is a beloved child that brings him pleasure. So often we can be caught up at times of self-reflection and only see a transgressor. And it binds us up, restraining our freedom to live for God. No joy, no freedom, no peace, only a fear that we need to do better. We certainly do not always see ourselves and truly see ourselves as a beloved and pleasing child of God. But in Christ, that is who we are. God sees him, through him, us, as someone that is and has fulfilled righteousness, that is unified with him in will and purpose completely. Jesus knew this throughout his ministry. He knew who he truly was, and it freed him to serve the Father wholeheartedly as a man in the power of the Spirit. And his, in his abundant grace, we have received that identity too, that we might live for him now and in the kingdom of heaven that is to be fulfilled. All because Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, even as we consider the oneness that is shared between you and your son, the freedom to be able to live righteously without struggling with sin, but just delighting in one another, in sharing purpose and will and desire, Lord, for all the good things that you have. And to know, Lord, that in your love, you desire us to be a part of that as well, through your Son. We give thanks that you sent Jesus to fulfill all righteousness, to be baptised and to walk towards the cross where our sin would be atoned for, where we would be redeemed and restored to relationship with you. That we would one day be the people of the kingdom of heaven with your son as the head, as the king. What a, what a blessing. Heavenly Father, help us to continue to hold tightly to the knowledge that this is what you have done. What is finished and complete and is the identity of everyone that believes here and now. That is our security. You are our security. And Lord, help us to be able to abide in it fully. To better hold these truths, to defend against the attacks of the evil one, the lies that we hear, that distract us from a knowledge that you are pleased in us because of Christ. Lord, that we might live a life free in you, for you, delighting in some of those things in heaven that we're getting a taste of now and even more fully later on. I pray that this would continue to remain rich in our hearts, Lord. No matter what the weeks look like, help it to be what is the word that we encourage one another with, a reminder of what you've done of who we are now. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we give thanks for, for your grace and your mercy. All of this freely given. In Jesus' name, amen.